Learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. All right, this is Bryant, and welcome to the inaugural fantastic Better Sign Shop Podcast. My co-hosts, Peter Karunas, the Sign Shop Yoda. Thank you for pronouncing my last name right. I appreciate that. The other co-host, Michael Riley, the baby Sign Shop Yoda. The baby Yoda. What is the baby Yoda? What is, what's your latest nickname? Do we, do we give you another one or no? We just, we, uh, we never gave me another one. No, we need to, we need to brainstorm on that. I, I saw that you put, um, that, that article that you put up on your blog had me as sign shop Yoda as well. So I feel like we need to get like clear on who's Yoda and who's not. We, we, we need to expand into like other sci-fi versus <laughs> yeah. as well. Get, get away from star Wars. Yeah, I'll be Spock. I'll be the sign shop Spock. Nice. Nice. Today we're talking pricing problems. Boom. As Peter says, let's jump right into it. Guys, Peter, you're the only one that still has a sign shop. What's your number one pricing problem? Mike, am I, am I the only one? I don't have a sign shop. Well, all right. All right. Well, yeah, that, all right. So, okay. So I'll, I'm the only one with a sign shop. That's interesting. Fucking great. Well, anyway, here, listen, number one. Number one most common problem that I go through right now is not really knowing if how much profit I'm actually making, right? And whether I'm too cheap or too expensive. I mean, this is, I'm sure there are many sign shop owners out there, many print shop owners out there that, that tend to have the same, same problem. But when I give out a price, what is the, what is the backbone behind that price? What is the knowledge? behind that price is it am i neglecting the customer's needs by not asking additional questions is it is it a matter of just get them a price so that they can say yes or no am i really taking the necessary time there's a lot to impact a lot to unpack excuse me in that topic there of whether or not my price is too cheap or too expensive but that to me is the biggest problem what do you guys think well let's let's dive into the first one right is it too cheap I, I can tell you from experience in, in my old shop, we were always, always, always busy and it felt really good. You know, you get to the end of the day and there's 20 jobs that you, but when you start to look at the actual numbers or, or at the end of the year was a good example. Like you look at all that work that you've produced and then you start looking at your profit and loss and you're like, shit, man, like we were really busy. Like where, where's this money at? This, you know, it felt like, okay, being busy is really good, but as far as the PL, like the numbers may not have, it, they weren't really translating to what we felt like all the work that we actually produced. That's a great point. I mean, I, I tend to think that the profit and loss really dictates whether or not you're too cheap or too, I don't, I don't know if it'll dictate if you're too expensive, but it'll certainly dictate if you're too cheap when those percentage points come back, whenever you're reviewing your financial statements, you can see like, Hey, you know, 
I'm really low here. You know, what's a good way to re uh, increase these percentages? Is it increase sales, increase pricing, retake, you know, but most people, most people will tend to look at something like that and immediately think they have to cut costs. You know, cutting costs will also increase those percentages, but may not be the, the right decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that. I feel like that's like, you say, at some point it's like the, like just drink less lattes kind of argument for like your own personal budget. Like, yeah, Hey, if I just cut out lattes and I, I use this as an example because my wife and I drink like $12 worth of coffee at the coffee shop every single day. And like, you look at it and it's like, shit, that's like 400 bucks a month that you spend on coffee that like, you could just buy like the K cups and yeah. Yep. It'd be fine, but yeah, like we enjoy it. We could spend it. Why not? But yeah, expenses, Mike, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're fine. So yeah. Like when you say you look at your PL and you say you need to cut cost Peter, what do you mean by that? You mean, you know, I need to reduce overhead. I need to like get sharper my pencil with my vendors. What? Yeah, so let's let's t let's put up a metaphorical profit and loss statement in front of you, right? Let's just argumentatively say you sold a hundred thousand dollars in sales for that period. If your gross profit margin is, I don't know, forty percent, let's say, but then you take a look at your your overhead and you're at your you're at your bare minimum on those percentages, right? How do you increase your net profit? You increase your net profit by either increasing your sales or cutting expenses. What I was saying is most people would look at like $100,000 and say, that's all I was able to produce. And if that's all I'm able to produce, then I have to cut costs. There's a, it's a, just a mentality. It's a way to, that most of, most of us tend to think a little bit more pessimistic than optimistic. So when you look at your profit and loss and you say, hey, I can increase my net profits by drinking less lattes, right? I can, instead of saying I can increase my net profits by penetrating this market, going into more customers, raising my prices and increasing those percentage points that way. I tend to be more top heavy, you know, glass half full kind of guy, you know, thinking if I, if I did 500 grand or a million dollars in sales, how do I reach 1.2 million? 1.5 million. I'm not looking to increase my bottom line by making those cuts, which is often a problem that I've seen in the past, even with, even with, you know, owners that I've met with, you know, they, they look at like, Hey, I only did 30,000 and I can't afford my rent this month. So now I can't afford the kidding, but right. And you like, got to get out there and sell more in that case, you know, and, like, and that, and that's like cutting the, the head off of, of your operation, you know? Like I can't invest the money into into new sales coming in because I need to pay my rent. Or so trimming the, the marketing budget. You know, that's to, to me, like I, I've always like saw people in that scenario of like, hey, I can't afford to run ads this month. And it's like, like define that somewhere else, man. Yeah, like, like the other part or the other problem with it, like looking at it from the expense side is like there's there's a, a floor there. Like there's a limit of, of what you can actually cut. And is obviously like, it's not gonna be a lot of fun depending on what you cut, you know, depending on how much fat you've got in the budget. But let's say you're a reasonable 
reasonably smart business owner, you probably already optimized your budget really well, or at least to a, a certain point that you're happy with it. Yeah. I mean, you, when you're, heck, if you're a new person, new, I'm sorry, if you're a new business owner, new person, if you're a person that's looking <laughs> to get into this business, you've probably been educated to like doing a, a forecasted projection, a pro forma, if you will, something that's really going to give you some substance to what you're about to enter into. So you have to factor in labor, overhead, marketing budgets, you know, and get all of those pieces together so that you know that you, this is what you have to do. And what are you going to, and this is how much you need to invest to get to that level. Now I realize the topic of this question is your pricing how do I know if it's too cheap or too expensive? But it really does. It's a very big topic that impacts a lot of things, a lot of decisions that a sign shop or a print shop owner needs to kind of unwrap, right? If they're not looking at their financial statements, well, there's problem number one, numero uno at the top of the helm. That's your biggest concern. Let's use those financial statements to make decisions on the day-to-day -day of our business, right? And, and, and that, that to me, is something that I preach, I coach, I consult with. That is the number one thing that a business owner needs to be focused on in my mind is their profit and loss, being able to dictate day-to-day -day decisions that they go that go on in a shop like raising your prices. What's the Mr. Coach Expert Consultant? Like what is the what's the number one thing on the, the profit and loss? The, you, like you pick up my profit and loss for my shop today, my theoretical okay. shop, as we've established, like what's the first thing you're going to look at or, you know, what's, what do you put your finger on and say like, Hey, this is your pricing's off or like, Hey, you need to like the sales are too low. Like, what do you, what do you put your finger on first? Yeah, that's a great question. Everything stems from sales, right? So what did you, what were you able to do? So I'll first look at your sales for that for that period of time. If it's no matter what the number is, the, the correlated major categories of your profit and loss need to have the proper percentages in order to justify those sales. So in other words, if you did a hundred thousand dollars, I'm looking for something, your cost of goods to be anywhere from 22 to 30% of that number. If it's higher, we that's, that's going to be a red flag. You know, you're spending too much on material for the prices that you're selling. You know, you're not charging enough for the raw goods that you're buying. You know, so if you're, if I'm seeing a number that's 40 or $50,000 in cost of goods and I'm seeing percentages that are 40 or 50%, that's going to stand out right away before we even go to the next portion of your profit and loss. You know, we'll look at labor. Is labor making up 25 to 30%? Or in these days, it probably could be higher than 30%, but higher. Is, it, is it making up the proper percentage of what you're producing? If not, well, now you have a, you have a labor issue. You know, you have to, maybe you're paying your employees too much. Maybe you're not, maybe you need to cut back on hours. But again, just like I said earlier, I mentioned the word, just cut it, back just there. It all, you know, um, it all goes back to the number one thing. What did you do in sales? What did you do? And I tend to live on that, that top part of the equation. You know, what is what the, the answer to really fix your problem is more sales. How do you get that? Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine going to an employee just like, Hey, Mike, 
we're going to cut your salary because we didn't do enough in sales. <laughs> mm. oh, I'm not going to go over. You know, usually that usually what that happens is that 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 conversation really doesn't happen in the world. But what does happen is the owner, Mike's not performing the way I need. So I need to kind of dip into my pocket to invest into that business again. So now it's costing me more money until I get busy again. And I put that in quotes because that's what a lot of people do. Like get busy means we're making sales, which doesn't always mean that you're profiting on your sales when you're busy, by the way. Like I like people that say that they're busy, but good busy is better than bad busy. Yeah. Yeah. That brings to mind a story, like one of the first consulting clients I ever took on years ago, really nice guy. I had a small sign and print shop, kind of a, a remote area. It wasn't in a large market. One of the quotes, and we did like a discovery, you know, talked to a bunch of his people. They were doing probably, I want to say it was like $450,000, $500,000 a year in sales, which is, I feel like is is a common starting point for a lot of people that may be listening to this or uh, just in the, the industry as a whole uh, for a really small shop. He had like three or four people working for him. I still remember like this quote that I pulled out from our conversation and put into this report I wrote for him. He said, plain as day on a call, he said, I feel like all I own is a job. Like I'm working for my employees. Like they make more money than I do per hour just because we're so busy and I'm spending 60 hours a week working in the shop. And if you, yeah, and he did the math, like it, his salary plus the profits that he was taking home as, as the owner on a per hour basis were like $5 less than what he was paying his highest paid employee per hour, which um, I'm not sure. How, how you'd feel about something like that. But as a business owner, like if you're not making a profit, like why are, why are you even doing it? You know, if, if I can't create the lifestyle that I want for my family out of it, you know, why, why, why punish yourself for 60 hours a week? I would not know what to say to that <laughs> sign shop owner of yours, but what I'd probably tiptoe around the, the obvious statement is that he bought himself a job instead of a career. Right. And, you know, I, I, I think that this industry, whether you're in the printing industry, whether you're in the sign industry, it's got a lot to offer. I mean, we've all been there. We've all operated in shops. You know, what it offers us is a sense of being human. We, we literally are individuals that are designed to help other businesses in our community prosper. That's what we all, that's what we get in this business for, you know, it's, it offers nine to five visit business hours, Monday through Friday, you get weekends and holidays off. It's a really great industry. I mean, I can, I love it. I I've made my entire career in this industry because of these, because of what it's allowed me to do as a, as an individual spent it allowed me to have the time to meet my wife and to to develop my family and and be move closer to my family and have those relationships with friends and family that are crucial to our everyday normal life right but if you're that type of owner that's putting in 40 50 60 hours a week and you're 
30, 40 hour employees making more than you because you're, you can't afford to hire more help or whatnot. It, it's a matter of stepping away from your business. That would be my first key advice is you have to step away. You have to step away, get fresh eyes on what you need to do, whether that's a week, two weeks. I don't know if you could shut down for a month, but what you're doing is not working. What that person is doing is not working. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think everybody at some point in their trajectory in this industry will fall into that trap. I know I did when I first started out and had my shop. And, you know, you, you you were afraid to lose jobs, so you price them so that you get the work, right? I mean, I think, I think especially new people in this industry, they they price to get the work because they're afraid of that customer turning around and walking out and spending that money somewhere else. There's a psychological like barrier there's, there. That there's some little thing in your head that's like, this person is in front of me and they're wanting this particular job, and you're just like, hey, okay, five hundred bucks. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Let's go with that. When that's a or like yeah, this will look great like in my portfolio, yeah. right? This will look great on my website. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my ass on this job, just for the bragging rights to say I did the job. Like I've done that. Everybody does that in this industry. It, it's a, it's a dangerous trap to fall into though, because once you start doing that, it's really hard to break that habit and get back out of it. And I, I've seen people that have been in this industry for 20, 30 years that can't figure out why they're not profitable. It's because they're still doing that because they're afraid of losing the customer, they're afraid of losing the job, so they price it low. Or they're looking at what their competitor, you know, Jimbo's lawn care and yard signs down the street will do this sign for half what I can do it for, you know, Fucking like, well, Jimbo, man. right, right. And like in every, every town has one and he's working out of his spare bedroom with a cricket and he does crappy work, but he'll undercut everybody in town because he doesn't have an actual business. Right. So many people fall into the trap of trying to compete with those guys. And that's just, you know, that's it, super dangerous. I, I see a lot of people making the mistake of, of comparing their pricing to their competitors, trying to base that on what they charge anyway, which is dumb because your competitors don't have the same overhead as you. They don't have the same rent and employees and payroll and burden rate that you do. So why are you trying to price according to their business model, which is entirely different than yours? And then that's how you fall in that trap, or it's a one big way of falling in that trap of having a very expensive job that you have to go through every day that pays you less than you'd make at Taco Bell, usually breaking that, that cycle. I know you <laughs> like Taco Bell, man. That wouldn't be bad. I do. I mean, I'm not saying that an insult. Okay. <laughs> like, there are times I'd rather work at Taco what's your, Bell. Than what's your go-to at the Taco Bell? What are you, what are you eating at the Taco Bell now? Oh man. I mean, it depends on what, what, what's in season. Like if you've never had their nacho fries, let me tell you, they don't have them all the time, but if they've got the nacho fries, you got to get on that. They're, they're amazing. Otherwise, just give me a plain old bean burrito, buddy. That's that's my go-to. I used to be a fan of their Mexi melts before they got rid of them. Like I was yeah, like, why did you get rid of your your Mexi melts off your new? And do you again, remember the, bought them? Do you remember the Enchirito? That it was course. like, oh god, those were so good. They came in a little the plastic container with the bubble and like the red sauce on it. Oh man, those were mind-blowingly good. And they got rid of them. When 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 you're when it's late night and you're working in the shop. There was nothing better than intro. I mean, listen, I'm, 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 when it comes to Taco Bell, I'm, uh, I'm just gonna straight, I'm gonna straight like three tacos, maybe a, maybe a chicken and cheese quesadilla. My wife likes the, the cheesy gordita crunch, but when you're, that was when my you have like every, when you have your, your staff crunch. and they're all like kind of working to beat that deadline, there's nothing like a, 
oh, yeah. like one of those big boxes of tacos to get everybody motivated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the best man. And like, it, and I don't eat meat. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. The Taco Bell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe no, and maybe we can get them to sponsor the next episode. Like, what do they Yeah. <laughs> Signs and tacos. Pause for Taco Bell break. No. Hey, that's a great title. Signs and tacos and profit and loss. There you, there you go. go. We should all be yeah. eating tacos while we talk here. All right. Um, so we've established. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> oh no. So I was just gonna say, like that. I think that's. I, I've seen that trap that so many people fall into. I, I've been guilty of it. I'm. I'm sure everybody on this call has been guilty of it before in the past. And I, I think that's one of the. That, that psychological barrier of of being afraid to price something the way it needs to be priced so that it's profitable to you. It is really a hard thing for people to overcome. It's a terrifying thing to overcome. It's scary to hand a quote to a customer that you know is high, right? Like if, you, if you've yeah. got a customer getting three or four bids and you know your price is going to be on the high side of that, therefore you're running the risk of losing that job. Like it's hard to hand that customer that bid with any confidence, you know? But at the same time, like you have to have confidence in your price that you're you're not pricing to get the job. You're not pricing to be competitive. You're pricing to put food on your own table and make sure that your employees get a paycheck next week, first and foremost. And that's, I think, what a lot of people fail to take into consideration the equation. And then, you know, talking about your P&L and what red flags jump out at you too. I mean, there's an old metric too that, you know, you sh- I, I can't remember the exact number. You should be only, you know, getting... You know, roughly half the quotes you put out there. If you're getting if you're getting too many quotes, your prices are too low. If you're getting, you know, if you're wanting too too few bids, your prices are too high. So that was one that I always used to use as well. Was like if I'm winning every bid I'm putting out there, every quote that I send out comes back as a paying job. Like I shit, that's a big problem. You don't want that because every one of those jobs is underpriced, and then your your margins are thin, and you're working you stole, for. You stole the thunder, start. dude. I was getting ready to come in and say, like, Peter, what's the number one? thing that they the people listening they're pricing too low tell them how right now look at the conversion ratio how many quotes do you send you send 10 quotes you get nine of those quotes you're way too freaking low mm-hmm. that's interesting that's an interest yeah i'd like to i never quite thought of it that way to be honest with you i've been doing this a while that is something i never quite thought of i would just think that if i'm winning all these quotes they like who i am as an individual they like me as an owner <laughs> they like me like me so if i'm winning all these quotes because they want to work with me that's what i'd be thinking but i guess you know I'd that also be thinking hey my price might be too low that, that sounds really funny to say it out loud but it's true i i I've so many shop owners that are, yeah, man, we get every bid that comes through the door. Like, it's great. We're not profitable, but it's great. I'm like, well, why are you getting those bids? Like they, they, they fucking love us, man. I'm like, no, they don't. They don't give a shit about you. (laughs) They're saving money with you. That's all they care about. You know, that that's, I, 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 and it, that plays into the, the ego too. And ego, I mean, this is, this isn't a sign industry specific thing, but ego is a big thing that drives a lot of business owners. And it's easy to conflate these people love me for I'm just whoring myself out and they love that. And there's a big difference between the two. It can be really difficult for a business owner to recognize which is which which one of those, you know, that they're actually in. You know? That's but really interesting. You know, it's really interesting because I would never know how to figure that out, right? I would think to, to be in that caught in that rock between a rock and a hard place, if it's me or if it's my pricing. Do they like me or is my pricing too cheap? Like that's 
that's got to be a, a big question for for many sign shop owners out there that it, are and unsure there's wrong with how like, to find the answer. It, it totally. And there's nothing wrong with liking your customer. Your customer's liking you. Like I, I had a lot of customers still do. I sold my, my business nine years ago and I'm still Facebook friends with two, three dozen of my customers and still talk to them on a regular basis, you know, and I consider them, I consider them friends, I, you know, I'll call them acquaintances or peers, it, it, you know, that relationship, I mean, it, it's a very fine line, that relationship you walk in business with, 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 a, with the client, are these really, truly my friend or do I, am I, these people really like me and, you know, the flip side of that, do I really like them or do I like their money? You know, so it's, it's, it's a dangerous slippery slope to let that muddy the pricing equation. And a lot of people do, a lot of people let that factor into how much you're charging. And, and that's really dangerous because then you're, you're, you know, frankly, interjecting personal feelings into uh, something that's very black and white math and that'll screw you in the long run for sure. Yeah. You know, while I was listening to you, you guys talk, you know, something else came to mind and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And, and it's, it, and I might throw a monkey wrench into what we were talking about here just in a moment, but you know, one of the bigger hurdles for me, even throughout my entire career is timing with a customer. When a customer, if, if a customer comes in and you guys mentioned like, you know, looking at your competitors pricing and, and, you know, trying to stay better than what they're offering you. I, I don't have time to call my customers or call my competitors and say, what are you charging for this so that I can be in the ballpark? I don't have time for that. I don't think I've ever done that. You know, I, I do it in a different way, but if a customer comes in and they're ready to buy, you know, you know, those moments where you get somebody that walks in or calls you or and is really like, I need to move forward. I need to do this to tell you all the right things. I need to get a price. Can you get me a quote today? I need to have this by the weekend. You know, you got them by the, by the, on the ropes right there at that point, you know, the, that, the that timing. <laughs> it's, I got them on the ropes. By the that, cojones. By, uh, what were you yeah. I wasn't quite sure. I, I wasn't quite sure what words to use there, but yeah, I got them on the ropes. They're ready to buy. Um, you know, they start asking buying questions and that's usually a telling sign of like, okay, this guy needs to get an estimate out right now. And I need to find the urgency to get them a price and because they're ready to buy. And I, and I think that that plays a part into the, the logic of too cheap or too expensive timing. It, you know, it's a very interesting piece because I don't have the time to do my research. I don't have the time to evaluate competitors, call vendors, because the person's urgent. They need it right now. They, they need to move. So a lot of times, myself even, would rely on prior experiences to give this customer a price. Even though the formula is not being followed, I'm not calling any vendors, I'm, re I'm going back to old habits myself. Because this customer is telling me that they want to move forward. They need, they need that sign up by the weekend. They need it in a week. I need to get a price from you. So that, would, that typically I would totally to do lot. that in the past. Dude. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if I've, especially if like somebody came in the shop, they're standing right in front of me and they say right in front of you, like, like, Hey, I, this is what we want. Like the, the pressure there to close that sale then and there is huge. Yeah. And I, are like you really? Said, like are you it, really willing to let that guy walk out the door? 
Are you really yeah, willing to yeah. let them walk out the door so that you can do your research and get them a more accurate? That's a that's a ballsy moment. And I never let that per I try my hardest to never let that person leave. I mean, that's like sales one one. They they want to buy. This is the time to buy. That's you when you do sell, the you, you gotta sell. like like pause for a moment because of like I, I used to do that same like shortcut of like uh like okay, like hey, this guy wants some lettering on his truck, like it's gonna be yeah, let's say like six feet by about two feet by the time we get done with this logo. Like we just did one three weeks ago for X. Like, okay. Yeah. It's X. Here's the price. Yeah. And it's like, I I, I think in, it, it's just like in that moment, you don't want that sale to go to waste, so to say, or, or like you, you want to close that right then and there, but you, I don't know, you, you got to give yourself some kind of space there to like, get out of i i don't yeah i don't know not it's every like a, job is the same you might like have an emotional waste. reaction for me sometimes you know it's it's almost like it, the customer have you ever had a customer do this to you peter like you're standing there in that same situation and they give you you give them the price and they're like i was thinking probably like two hundred dollars less or three hundred dollars let's say it's like a thousand dollar job and then you they're like well, like so and so quoted me seven hundred bucks. Like, yeah, like what is that? Is that like hit you right in the gut too, or are you like you pass? No, no, no. That doesn't actually. No, the, the the truth is is that 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 is a that is that happens a lot. And what it typically means is that we're off base. If I'm fifteen hundred bucks and they get they tell me they got a quote from seven hundred dollars and it's and they like what I'm presenting. Typically, this person is either not telling me the truth that there is nobody else that's giving them this price for $700, or I'm just simply not hitting the mark where they see value. And that's where I would shift the conversation. This could probably, I could probably do a whole video segment or two on value propositions and how to produce that kind of value, what questions to ask to allow yourself to put in, to be put into place to, assert, to assert value. But yeah, when I get somebody that comes into me and says you're three, $400 overpriced, it's, I say overpriced based off of what nobody else designed this same sign as, as I just did, you know, and, and, and if they are a few hundred dollars over me or under me, you know, I typically will, I, I, which I have sprayed, I say it's called change the variables and changing the variables means how do I, if they, they just told you what, what budget they want to be in. So how do you make it fit in that budget? I'm just not going to say yes, because they said, oh, I got a quote for $500 less. I'm going to say, okay, well, maybe we can, I can get you there if we change the variables of whatever the sign is. Maybe if it's not, I don't know, maybe it's a different thickness, maybe it's a different size, maybe it's a, instead of painting the posts, we're just leaving them white, you know, whatever, whatever the case is, but it's gonna dictate a conversation of getting a value for what they're buying. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's I, I totally, totally agree that with that, too. I mean, it's, that's a, a big, that's a rule of thumb that I always use at my shop as well, is if somebody comes in and they say, hey, I got a price for X down the street, and it's, $500 cheaper, you know, well, chances are you're probably not comparing apples to apples in that case as well. I mean, if you're, 
you know, if you're talking about a thousand dollar sign and somebody's two hundred dollars cheaper, that's a twenty percent price difference. That's yeah, that's a that's a lot of. I mean, two hundred dollars is a lot of money, but a twenty percent difference is a lot of money, which means there's something that's not the same between those two quotes. And I've seen so many people just say, oh, okay, yeah, cool, whatever. They're doing it for eight hundred bucks. It's two hundred bucks, yeah, whatever. I want your business to sell it as well. And they don't realize that twenty percent just took off was their entire profit margin of time without changing the variables of it, like you said. So educating your customer and dissecting that other quote and saying, okay, this is what they're quoting. Three mil diamond versus six, IJ35 versus IJ180. You know, they're giving you a three-year sign. I'm quoting you a seven-year sign, hence the price difference. Now, if you want me to match that price, I can quote it exactly the way they quoted it and I can get you there. But I think that's a part of the equation that a lot of people miss is what are you what are you quoting against this other customer you know you, you're just looking at numbers only i mean you might as well just give them the sign for free and not even charge them for it at that point because you're you're going to make the sign for free anyway if you're not actually dissecting what you're quoting why you're quoting it that way and you want to know something why are they talking to you if they've already gotten the price exactly price? i think that's why are i think that's the most that's the biggest underlying issue is if that price is so good and that company's going to give them everything they want they love that price why did they not buy it there why are they coming to you? And you guess what? They're also going to go to everybody else in town for the exact same conversation until they can find somebody who is dumb enough to say, yeah, I'll match that price without giving it a second thought. That customer knows what they're doing. To walk right into the, the gut punch. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it right in the chin. Give it to me. Give it to me straight. Now, I like to, I'll put that right back on the customer. That's a great price. Why didn't you go with them? Mm -hmm. But, and then be quiet. Don't say oh, they'll never, they can't answer that either. Yeah, they'll they'll be they'll do him on noble stutter for an answer on that one because they can't tell you. They just know. Well, I'm just going to keep working until I get it better, you know. And that's yeah. that's what customers. But you want to, but you want, but you want to know something. That customer did walk in, and there, and that's that's more back to my point is that they're willing to buy right now. So are you are you going to just bend over backwards to accommodate their request that this is their budget, this is what they want? and cut into your profits. I, I've told you I've, I've done that before. I think we're all, like you said, we're all guilty of it, mm -hmm. but it's that timing piece because you, are you real, like what Brian said, are you really willing to turn down money, cash flow? That's cash flow, money in the bank today to do a project you might even already have the material to do, to keep your, to make payroll, to keep your employees working, to to keep the, the engine running sort of you real willing to turn that down and most people aren't you know i would say if i pulled all of my sign shop owners i've spoken to they'd all say i'll do whatever i got to do to make that sale and that's not always the right the right choice uh, you want to make that easier off. for us was appointment only we um we used to have a, a small shop on main street we had a large format printer puke its guts out. Uh, it, this was before the CET. Now, my I was gonna say, is that the CET? I, this is, no, it's a, <laughs> we didn't. So we were convinced we we were gonna buy the CET. We didn't have room for it. We built a six thousand square foot box, just a steel framed metal building box, just a production facility. Just had all the toys over there, and then like we were then like appointment only like if you wanted to come in and talk with me about pricing on a wrap 
like we set up a call, like it was all scheduled out so that like any of those like walk-in jobs, like, Hey, Joe, and I just bought this 20 foot boat and I need some letters for my, my boat so I could get it on the water this weekend. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like that stuff, like I no longer had to make those decisions because like, they just, they didn't, they didn't come over to the, the shop. The door was always locked. Like any customers that were coming over, I knew who it was. And was was prepared for that situation, so I didn't really put myself in that situation. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. We did that. We kind of did that too at our shop, and we we didn't lock the doors and tell people to go away if they didn't have an appointment. But we we had a nice showroom, but we didn't have office hours, and we didn't advertise it. And we, you know, if somebody walked in looking for boat numbers and shit like that, we would refer them to Fast Science because we don't, you know, that's that's what Fast Science is for. Sorry, Peter. Excuse me. <laughs> sorry glenn, first of all that's what the, that's what my local fast signs was for <laughs> maybe oh maybe my yours god fast signs gets a bad rap man uh, bad rap now we it's like we everybody have, thinks that we do the small stuff man, we had a fast signs we in our market that that that's all they could do was the small stuff and that was like basically like every shop in the area is like now you need to go to fast signs for that like we we get fast signs in business honestly but no i mean that's that's a good point i mean if you're if you're operating in a way where anybody and everybody can walk in up the street and demand your time and expect your time right now. You've almost set yourself up to, you know, in a way where you have to do that. You can't, you can't not take those orders on. You can't not take those jobs on. And, and generally speaking in the sign industry, walk-in customers aren't necessarily the most profitable ever. You know, if you're looking, I mean, it, I guess it depends on what kind of market you're in, but if you're trying to sell real signage, Nobody walks in off the street to buy a thirty thousand dollar monument sign. That isn't how it works, right? You know, that's rarely anyway. People walking up the street to buy fifty dollar set of boat numbers, and 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 that creates a whole other level of pressure that you just you got to figure out how to overcome from a pricing standpoint. Peter shaking his head. Yeah, right. well, I, I was just thinking, all... I was just thinking about that fast signs in your market. I'd love to be them if you're yeah. handing me all this business. I'd love it. All the boat letters, I, and boat, boat lettering, and race car graphics, man. That, well, it's, that's what you want to do. Just to me, like, yeah, like I, I was like, do it all, guy. Yeah, like, and, and when like the sign production and like the the office that everybody came in, and you know, we were kind of unique. We did like UPS shipping and, and stuff like that as well for the the community, which is I wouldn't advocate for. I wouldn't recommend like doing any of like that office like UPS store type situation. But it's something that we did. And yeah, I just like being right around the corner running a, you know, a, a large format printer. You've got $3,000 worth of signage, just, you know, wrap coming off of that printer. And then you step around the corner to take your eyes off of it or whatever else is in your queue to sell $50 boat letters. So you could have just referred to the fast signs down the street. Just wasn't a good use of time. But Peter right. is, is willing to take the $50 boat letters that you and I don't want, hypothetically, since we don't have a show all day. All day, every day. All day, every day, and twice on Tuesdays. Now, are you, let me ask you a question, Peter. Have you ever audited yeah. those jobs and, and looked at how much time you spend with the customer designing and proofing and invoicing and waiting for payment? Are you actually making money on those? I mean, it's it's that's a, a legitimate question. I'm not, I'm not. I don't mean that to sound accusatory. Like, dude, you're losing your ass on it. I'm curious. Are you actually making money on it? 
Is it profitable or is it like a loss leader for you? Well, first of all, there's, there's the, let me, let me be specific with something for a moment. Boat lettering or boat numbers, whatever you want to call it is, it's definitely something that most shops will do simply because they have the means to do it, but I do have a minimum order amount. So I won't do it for $50. I don't I just really do it. I don't really do anything. I don't really do anything in my shop for $50 because of what you just said there. Like the time to speak to the customer could take 25 minutes to speak to them before I even put vinyl into the plotter. So I'm certainly not, I'm mindful of the, of the, of the time allotment there. Our shop has a $200 minimum. So if it, if it's uh, boat members and maybe they got it, it, it's just something that uh, maybe we could do another another call on another vi- another podcast on, but it's more of if they meet the minimums, great. I'll sell that for two hundred dollars, and I'll interrupt my entire day for that two hundred dollars because I know it's good money that's coming in, and it's profitable money that's coming in at that price point, right? If it's three inch, four inch letters, and it takes twenty five minutes to weed, mass cut. And while they're waiting, I would absolutely do that. And I would stop whatever I was, I was working on for the $200 sale. Now, not many shops would say what I just said, but it also, because it also depends on the type of shop that you have. If you're a fabricating shop and you're doing a lot of like outdoor trade show, like signs, channel letters, things of that nature, probably not going to stop your operations to do that. Maybe you'll get to it when, when you can, but if you're a vinyl shop and I, and I, I do decipher vinyl shops from production shops very often, you know, the guys like fast signs, like what you're saying, right? Like that's what, that's what my shop is. It's a 1500 square foot facility, printer, cutter, plotter. I mean, why wouldn't we be able to do that job and get banging it out really quickly. It's like that quick banner, that quick vehicle magnets that all it's in that same category. If I can get the number that I'm looking for and it heat and it meets the minimum and I can bang it out quickly, I'll absolutely do it. You get a lot of pushback on your minimum. You know, not nearly as much as I thought. And then that's something I did this year, by the way, I, it used to be $50 minimum. Now it's two, a $200 minimum. I, that's just kind of something we did to, I like that it's two hundred match. Like most of the, the shops economy, that I talk to are like hundred bucks, hundred and fifty, but like two hundred feels substantial enough. And and like at that level, like I probably, you know, I don't I don't know how many of those I don't know that I would have like stopped and like knocked it at that point, but it like two hundred dollars, like that was probably profitable for us back in the day. I it's just like like one of the, the things that I, I talk with I can't tell you how many shops I talk to at, at Shopbox and like being in that environment, like you, you get to actually look at some of their numbers or like, if you're helping somebody put pricing into the system, like you get an actual look at the pricing. And as like, I, I, I've seen a lot of people that like get that, that type of job mixed up with in the, in the same queue or, or blocking like a $3,000 job or like a $5,000 job. You know what I mean? If you've got 20 of those small jobs, that are getting in the way of a larger job, you know, it could be a big problem or maybe it's not. Yeah. It depends on how fast you could get it out the door, but. It, it definitely depends. I think on the type of shop it is too. Like, like Peter said, I mean, if you're more like a retail final shop, like a fast science, you're going to have a specific production flow 
set up if you're going to be geared more for that where like like you said you're more like a fabrication electrical shop where your vinyl cutter is used to cut you know translucent vinyl for backlit faces not necessarily for you know, yeah. knocking out boat numbers and stuff like that like yeah even a 200 dollar boat number job it, it, it's even less about the probability of that job but it's a massive inconvenience and it's a huge interruption to workflow when you've got to stop your bread and butter to do something else. I mean, that, that, that becomes a, a major issue as well, but I'm glad you've got a, a substantial minimum order. I mean, yeah, like, you know, my time at Shopbox too, like I would see the same thing all the time. I, people, one of the, one of the features in Shopbox is you can set up like a minimum price on an item or something like that, or, you know, yeah. line charge or minimum unit charge. And, um, I can't tell me how many t- how many shops I talked to where like their minimum order was twenty five bucks, you know, and their their thought process behind that was okay. If I make it a set of boat numbers, we'll keep beating on boat numbers here. You got like a buck fifty in material in in a, in a set of boat numbers, you know, between the vinyl transfer tape, you know, and, and twenty minutes to cut it and we tape it and send it out the door, right? So that's what that's what people are seeing, but it, you know, it goes back to that upfront time. I mean, it still takes time to stand there and talk it out with the customer, figure out what they want, design it, create your file get it through them, bill it, receive the payment. And, and that's what so many people don't take into consideration is just that ancillary time it takes to just write up an order and get it to the production floor. It's not about the dollar fifty material you have in it in the 15 minutes you got to, you know, your $12 an hour employee to weed it, tape it. It's, it's, it's all the other time that it takes up and it's all the other stuff that it puts on the back burner while you're producing that set of boat numbers that you're not making that $3,000 job too. Yeah. And that's where people, you know, feel that a, uh, what's the, what's the number one reason people price too cheap peter why do they price it too cheap the fear of losing a sale underestimating your time no it's the fear i was right fear. you're wrong that's uh, the way it goes uh okay maybe number two so there, there's probably a list of these but underestimating your time like mike is talking about is one of the biggest things that I've seen. And I've, I've talked to a lot of shop owners. It's- I, I would say the same thing. Like, yeah, like the fear is big. Lose, the fear of losing a sale, I'd say is probably a close second. But if there's any like one common thread that I could I could draw between the vast majority of, of, of shop owners that I've worked with over the years, it's the same thing. It's that they don't, A, they undervalue their own time. They don't, they don't really stop and think about how much time they have into a job outside of the actual, like producing the tangible object. They don't think about all that other time outside of that. In that, I think that's where so many people fall short on pricing is they, they don't recognize that. And and the shops that I've ever seen that are truly profitable that, you know, talk about 10, 15, $20 million a year shops, the, the big guys, those guys understand what their time is worth. And they're not afraid to ask for that that amount of money. And if you are not willing to pay them for time, they'll let you out the door. They won't think twice about it. And that's what separates those big shops from the little shops right there. I mean, among above and beyond anything else, the twenty million dollar shops know what their time is worth. And the two hundred thousand dollar shops have no clue what their time is worth. Well, it, like well if you said. go back to the, well the fear thing, like is it like you you kind of know you're working with the fear, right? But let's say you're you're not factoring in like the admin time or the setup time to just throw a cut, open a file and throw a cut line on it. Like if you're not factoring that in when you're pricing, like you're working with flawed logic. So like, you know, the fear, like I, I can, I can like acknowledge the fear, but like if, 
if I don't know what I don't know, like I, if I'm just not factoring that time in, I'm just like shooting myself in the foot before I even get started. Yeah. Well, fear is a powerful motivator, right? And fear is, you know, something that motivates all of us all day, every day, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. I mean, everything we do is motivated by fear in some way, but you're right. Like, how do you channel that fear? And are you using that fear correctly? And I, and I would say that if somebody is the, the fear of losing a job is pushing somebody to just quote the job cheaper to win the job, you're misdirecting that fear or you're aiming that fear at the wrong thing. That fear should inspire you to dot your I's and cross your T's and make sure that you're charging appropriately, not I'm just going to drop my pants, get the job because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. Because if you do that, you're going to lose money either way. You might as well lose the money and not have to pay an employee you know, for it. Lean into the fear, but don't run from it, I guess. Lean into the fear. <laughs> So wrapping this thing up, guys, um, really enjoyed this first episode. Yeah, me too. Better than I, I thought this was really great. This, th this definitely went better than I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all three of us, right? All right. Yeah, I'm looking uh, forward to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Pricing too cheap. If you're doing that now, look at your quotes, right? If you're winning 85, 90% of your quotes, you're probably too cheap. If you haven't updated your pricing because of COVID and supply issues, if you haven't updated your pricing in the last year or two, you're probably too cheap. What else, Peter? What am I forgetting? Audit your time. To your finance. Oh yeah. At the top of the list, audit your time, audit your time, pay attention to your financial statements. They tell a story, a very interesting story. Perfect. All right, guys, that's a wrap. All right. Awesome. Peace out. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes and check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.